Uh, good morning, church. How y'all doing? You sure? All right, well, we'll fix that right up in the sermon. We, um, see what I did there? A little joke. That's okay. Welcome to Desert Springs. If you're newer, newer to Desert Springs, maybe you're still trying to figure this whole Jesus out. If this is your first time especially, I want to invite you to pick up in the back of the seat in front of you is a ministry guy that looks like this. It's got all sorts of information on our church. Also, uh, if this is your first time or you're newer to Desert Springs, you have questions about anything you hear today uh, or you'd like prayer this morning, you just want to know how uh, we can help you, please visit the folks at Direct and Connect out in the lobby after the uh, service. They'd be more than happy to help you any way they can. And first hour, uh, the 9.30 service, we were able to uh, do something that we love doing, which is a, a baby dedication or a child dedication. Uh, where we dedicate uh, children to the Lord. We do this because as a church family, we believe in proclaiming and sharing the gospel with everybody, with people in our city and around the world, and also future generations. And so uh, we believe in uh, dedicating children to the Lord. Ultimately, children are a gift from the Lord. And so uh, we were able to do that this morning. If you're interested in having your child dedicated, there's information in that ministry guide for you uh, to use as well. And today we continue in our series called Ancient Faith, in which we look at uh, the teachings that are, are found in the Apostles' Creed. We just heard the Apostles' Creed uh, referenced as, we, as I walked up just a minute ago. And uh, what we're going to do today, that today's service is a little bit different than usual. We've kind of restructured our service uh, to be a little bit more pointed as it relates to the celebration of communion. And also our worship today will be singing more near the end. And the reason that we do that is uh, to help us uh, first remind ourselves from the truths of Scripture as to why we sing, but also it gives us an opportunity to respond uh, to God's love. And I have a question for you. What does it cost your God to love you? What does it cost your God to love you? So whatever God you follow, what does it cost your God to love you? Let me put it another way. How much does your God love you? Whatever you worship, whatever you follow, so some of us here are Christians and some of us here aren't, some of us are still trying to figure out who it is or what it is that we worship and we're wondering about this Jesus thing, but, but wherever you're at today, what does it cost your God to love you? Does your God love you? How does your God love you? encourage you to dwell on that today. My son and my two daughters, uh, in times of pain, uh, whether it's externally imposed or whether I'm imposing the pain, usually through discipline, or it's a time of uncertainty, which every time or every night around 9.30, uh, we become spiritualists and worried about what's under the bed and what's in the closet. Uh, uh, there's other times where there's legitimate fear uh, in my children, and what I will usually do is I will usually take my children, so let's say I take my son Isaiah, and I, I bring him, and you know, uh, after yelling and screaming, go to bed, uh, for the 15th time, I'm like, all right, that's right, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm supposed to be a good dead. So I go up and I, I sit him down and I, I, what I do usually is I'll put his face in my hands and I'll bring him in real close and I'll say, buddy, I love you. How much do I love you? Or how much does daddy love you? And uh, he will usually say, because we've been doing this back and forth for, for a few years, for the majority of his life, in fact, and uh, he'll say so much. Daddy, uh, uh, son, how much does daddy love you? So much. And I'll usually say, how much? He'll usually respond, like, so much. Because for a five-year-old, it's difficult to put the measurement on how much love daddy has for you. 
But as we age, we begin to have a sense of how much a person loves us. And usually one of the things we'll look to is not only their words, but also their actions. If you were to, uh, you were to see a, a married couple, perhaps, you would say, well, how much uh, do they love? Uh, you could say, well, well, he loves her so much, he does the dishes every night. Some of us are being nudged right now. The sermon is being brought home into our lives. Uh, we, we look at friends. You say, how much do those two friends, you know, does she, how much does she love her friend? Well, so much so that she gave her her kidney. Or, or, or how much do they love? Well, so much so that they did an action, you see, that love costs them something. Uh, there was a, a married couple that I'm familiar with that uh, when they were in there, they were newlyweds, they were in their 20s, and she had a horrible accident, became a paraplegic. And he has stayed with her for decades. Now, I, 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 I just encourage you to think of all that is sacrificed for a young man, especially, newlywed, and all that that means to stay faithful. You'd say, how much does he love her? Well, I could point to this. I could point to this. I could point to this. I could point to the actions. You see, looking to the actions of someone will tell you a little bit about how they love you. And so I ask you again, how much does your God love you? What does it cost your God? To love you. When we recite the Apostles' Creed together, which we're going to do here in a little bit, when we recite the Creed together, we remind ourselves of the truths found in Scripture. We're not preaching through the Creed, we're preaching the Scriptures. But the Creed reminds us of the truths found in Scripture, and one of the things that it reminds us of is how much our God loves us. It also, when we recite the Creed, it refutes the counter-narratives that are speaking into our lives every moment of every day that say things like, you are the product of random chance and nothing more. You are nothing more than a mistake. Or God is out there and he's out to get you and you got to earn your way into heaven and you got to be a good enough person in order to get into heaven. And, and both of those ideas, number one, that we are ruled by chaos, and number two, that we are ruled by a God who is simply waiting for us to be good enough people to earn heaven, both of those are oppressive, both of those are uh, shackles, both of those are uh, infuriating when you begin to think about them because you realize very quickly that there's no hope in them. You see, the God of chaos, which is no God at all, is simply the universe. And, and if you and I are nothing more than the products of random chance, two molecules spashing together, uh, then there is no hope. Uh, there is no purpose to anything. When we use words like love, beauty, and justice, we're appealing to our own opinion. And moreover, when we say things, like I say to my son, when we say things to one another like, it's all going to be okay. You guys ever heard anybody say that? You get sick, you get a bad doctor's report, you're at the funeral, you, things are going wrong, you got fired, you're, you're nervous about something, you're anxious about something, and somebody says, hey, it's going to be okay. Usually it's a friend. It's going to be okay in the end. If we are ruled by nothing more, if we're governed by nothing more than random chance, that's a load of crap. How do you know it's going to be okay? I mean, if the universe, quite frankly, is dictated by random chance and chaos, I'm pretty sure it's trying to kill me. Like the sun, have you seen the sun? It wants you on a platter, Phoenicians, and it'll have a little bit of you every summer if you don't wear sunscreen lotion. <laughs> How much is your, you see what I did there? Use the all natural stuff because the other stuff evidently is giving you cancer. Uh, How much does your God love you? 
You see, you see, the God of justice only, the God of judgment and wrath alone, that, that God, that good enough gospel God, that God that needs you to even the scales, that's also oppressive and depressing and frustrating because you're never going to do it because the majority of the good things you do are done in order to appease that God, which makes your motives like corrupt, which corrupts the good thing. How much do those gods love you? Whatever God you follow, how much does that God love you? What, is that, what does it cost that God to love you? Here in the creed, we see statements that remind us that Jesus suffered by the hands of Pontius Pilate, that he was crucified, dead, and buried. And then perhaps most uh, infamously in the creed, at least in this context, that he descended into hell. How many of you have been curious as we've been going through this study on why he descended into hell is, is in the creed? Y'all curious about that? Good. Hope to answer that question for you today. First, that the Lord suffered at the hands of Pontius Pilate. In Acts 2, verses 22 and on, and we can put it up here on the screen, uh, it says this. This is Acts 2, 22 through, uh, and on. Now, this is a sermon that's recorded in the book of Acts, and it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Now check this out. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You crucified. So I want you just to pause for a moment, okay? We recently celebrated Good Friday and Easter, and I want you to pause and be there in that moment. Suffered at the hands of Pontius Pilate. I want you to take a step back. So I want you to zoom out for a minute, okay? You ready to zoom out? We're gonna zoom out, and I want you to see the cosmic view of what it means that Jesus Christ suffered at the hands of Pontius Pilate. Now, according to the scriptures, Jesus holds the universe together with the word of his power. According to the scriptures, we talked about this in the last couple weeks, Jesus was the agent by which creation came to being. To put it another way, Jesus created everything and he holds everything together. Guess who else he created? Pontius Pilate. Guess whose molecules are being held together uh, by Jesus? Pontius Pilate, okay? I don't think those molecules are very much together anymore because he's dead. But check this out. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. How much does your God love you? So much so that he suffered allowed himself to suffer at the hands of his own creation, a rebellious creation. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Now, one of the other beautiful things about Pontius' name being in here in the creed is this. It's a historical reality. There was actually a dude named Pontius Pilate who was actually a governor in the Roman Empire in the Middle East at the time that Jesus is said to have died. He actually died. When we say suffered under Pontius Pilate, we are proclaiming this is a historical fact. You with me? Check this out. You and I are going to walk out of here today, and unless it's still overcast, the sun will be out. And if not, I guarantee it will be out like soon, Phoenicians. That same sun which causes us to sweat, when you feel the warmth on your skin, that same sun shone on Jesus' face. The same dirt that you and I walk on 
When his blood dripped down from his body on the cross, it dripped into the same dirt you and I stand on. You with me? When we say suffered under Pontius Pilate, we remember that it is historical fact on this earth. This isn't science fiction. This isn't theory. This isn't some make-believe religion. This is actual historical fact. Jesus actually died. He actually suffered at the hands of an actual dude named Pontius Pilate who he actually created and whom he held together by the word of his power. What has your God done to love you? He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and on. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried. Okay, I'm going to stop there. That he died, he was crucified, and he was buried. Jesus, he actually died. Okay, they put him in a tomb. He was crucified. He was the lamb slain to satisfy God's wrath. Many of us don't like that idea of God's wrath. But let me just ask you a question. Do you like justice? Actually, let me ask you another question. When you are wronged, when people wrong you, do you like justice? Come on back to me now, okay? When you are wronged, when someone steals from you, when someone wrongs you, when someone betrays you, when someone undermines you, when someone wrongs you, what do you long for the most? Come on now. Justice. So you love a God of wrath when you are wronged. But what about when you're the wrongdoer? You like justice then? What do you like? You love mercy, don't you? You see how interesting we are as people. You see, when we're wronged, we long for justice. But when we are the wrongdoer, we long for mercy. How it is that God can both be just? How can he be just? Because we need him to be just, right? Listen, if you don't like a God of justice, you've never been wrong to your core. How can God be both just and the one who justifies the ungodly? How can you hold justice and mercy together? How can God's wrath be simultaneously satisfied without all of us being eliminated? Okay. How do you do that? I'm glad you asked. In the creed, we are reminded that he was crucified, dead, buried. And then you get to this infamous portion. He descended to hell. Now, I want to take a quick TV time out and remind you of when you exist. Y'all ready? What year is it? This was literally the easiest question <laughs> of the whole morning, and you guys are blowing it. What year is it currently, according to the calendar that we commonly use here in the States? 2017, okay? So we are chronologically after the Enlightenment, right? We are after Dante and his Inferno, the Divine Comedy. You guys have maybe heard of it. We're, we're, we're post-ASU Sun Devils. <laughs> we exist in a time where if you use the word hell, what comes to mind? Talk to me. What comes to mind? You say hell. What comes to mind? Fire. fire, of course, fire. By the way, real quick, I think the fire is metaphor. And everyone goes, whew. It's metaphor for something exponentially worse. <laughs> okay. What else? Gnashing of teeth. Suffering. Weeping. Pitchforks. 
Separation. What's that, red? Yeah, red stuff. Darkness. Okay. We have now intermingled two different ideas of what it means to be hell. I'm not saying that both of them are exclusive, but I want you to think about something. We use language like this. Hey, you should go to hell. Hmm? At least I do, usually. (laughs) It's okay, I'm a minister. It's totally cool. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. We use language like go to hell, like saying go to Tucson, which are actually very (laughs) simpatico. That language, go to, right? That betrays a tendency of ours to think of hell only or specifically as a place that you go to, not a state of being or not um, a person that you're with or absent from. So I I, want to dig a little bit deeply. There's a reason why we left, uh, he descended into hell, into the creed as we're reciting. And I know some of our traditions, maybe as we were growing up, uh, they they had excluded it. And and I think that they were thoughtful in doing that. And uh, because we're getting into this question, did Jesus actually go to a place called hell? And I just want to, I want to help you think a little bit bigger, a little more cosmically about this question. For what, at the end of the day, is hell? But... The separation, or at least the absence of God's blessing, the absence of right relationship with God, and the presence of God and his judgment and justice alone. See, we say, well, it's separation from God. No, no, no. It's the presence of God. It's just the presence of his wrath without any right relationship, without any uh, 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 grace and mercy. You see, hell is experiencing the wrath of God. We sing about it all the time, by the way. The father turns his face away. This is one of the lines from an infamous hymn. So, so, so did Jesus experience hell? Well, I think so. Remember that question? How did I start today? How much does your God love you? And what was the second question? What does it cost your God to love you? So in Mark 15, we can put it up on the screen, Mark 15, 34, It says this, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Okay, TV time out. Don't jump to Easter. Be there. Be at the foot of the cross. Having heard Jesus refer to the Father as the Father, right? We we got that language from Jesus. We said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he said, pray like this, our Father. When Jesus speaks to God, when Jesus speaks of God, God, the first person of the Trinity, he consistently uses language of what? Father. We talked about this last week, that the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, have eternally existed in right relationship with one another, in loving, affirming, approving relationship with one another. In fact, love comes out of the Trinity. You see? You with me? So the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, that's tight, isn't it? That's deep relationship, isn't it? So, listen to these words with fresh eyes. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means what? My God, TV time out. Wait, I thought Jesus would refer to God the Father as what? Oh, that's interesting here. He's using a different word. This is not necessarily consistent with Jesus. This is fascinating, maybe something to think about. But here he says, my God, my God, why have you what? Say it out loud. Forsaken me. 
when an acquaintance forsakes you, is that earth shattering, right? When the barista, your favorite barista, you're like, hey, what's up, Carmen? And they're like, I forsake you. How do you feel? You're like, whatever, I'm going to Dutch Brothers, I don't care. Right? But when a person closest to you, some of you have had this happen, when a parent or a spouse, when you're pursuing a loving relationship, you want the relationship, and they look at you and they say, I forsake you. And they turn their face away. How does that feel? Is that different than the barista? Come back to me. Is that different than the barista? What do you feel? Forsaken. You feel despair. You feel pain. You feel pain, right? To some extent, many of you would articulate it as a pain deeper than any physical pain, wouldn't you? Would you say that? So check this out. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane cries out in prayer, Father, Abba, Father. What's that a word for, right? What does that signify? Right, relationship, hmm? Abba, Father, if it is possible, let this, what? Let this cup pass from me. If he is only speaking about the physical pain that he is about to endure for a few hours, he's a pansy. Because how many people have faced their death with more tact, with more of a stiff upper lip than that? Why is Jesus agonizing in the garden? Certainly the physical pain played a role. But consider this. Consider that he knew that this cup was not the cup only of physical destruction, but rather the full cup of God's wrath. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it says that God will pour out the cup of his wrath. And it I would encourage you to consider, did Jesus know then in the garden that he would be crying out on the cross, why have you, what, forsaken me? On the cross, the scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin. And God the Father cannot look upon it. And so you have on the cross here this moment where the triune God, some, in some paradoxical, magnificent way, God the Father turns his face away from God the Son and forsakes him because he is taking on the full weight of God's wrath that was due you and that was due me. How much does your God love you? What does it cost your God to love you? When we speak the creed aloud, we remind ourselves of God's love for us. We remind ourselves of the weight of our sin, for it, it cost God the descent into hell so that we could ascend to heaven. It cost God the Father forsaking him. How much does your God love you? For those of us that are Christians, we commemorate and we remember and we, to some extent, and I'm almost reticent to use this word, but we celebrate this truth in two sacraments, baptism and communion. In baptism, an outward reflection of an inward reality when we go under the water associating ourselves with Christ's death and burial, when we come out of the water associating ourselves with his 
resurrection and ascension, recognizing that one day too, all who believe in the Lord Jesus will rise. And if you would like to be baptized, I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you haven't been baptized, I encourage you to be baptized. In fact, I did want to take a moment. We'll put the phone number up on the screen. If you want to be baptized, if you're a follower after Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you want to be baptized in obedience to him, just text your name to that number and we will call you this week and chat with you more about what it means to be baptized. It would be our honor to baptize you or to talk to you about what it means to be baptized. But aside from baptism, the second sacrament is that of communion. And now here, just in the middle of our service this morning, we are going to partake of the Lord's table in communion. And I'm going to ask Kathy to come up and lead us in the taking of Lord's table. It is a sacrament that we engage with to remember. And as Kathy leads us, I would encourage you to consider this question. How much does my God love me? And what does it cost my God to love me? How much does your God love you? What does it cost your God to love you? We see in the creed and we see in the scriptures that the Lord suffered at the hands of Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. And if that is the end of the story, that we should not be here. If that is the end of the story, there is no hope. If that is the end of the story, you're stupid. Because if you follow Jesus, you're believing in a lie. You're placing all of your trust, all of your hope in a lie. And yet we see that Christ did not stay in the grave. But as the creed says, he descended to hell. And on the third day, he rose. That statement is a reminder, is a pointer to the most fundamental truth in all of the universe, that God, how much does your God love you? He loves you so much, like so much. For God so loved the world. How much does God love the world? How much does God love you? For God so loved the world, what? That he gave his one and only son. What does it cost your God to love you? He gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, many of us are serving after the gods of sex, money, and power. Others are serving ourselves, worshiping ourselves as the center of the universe. Some of us are just trying to figure it all out. Friends, I want to plead with you that the God of the universe, your creator, has taken on flesh and Jesus Christ, the God-man, has subjected himself to the humiliation, the pain, the torment, and ultimately the crucifixion done at the hands of his own creation. That he died, that he took on the full weight of God's wrath. That is how much he loves you. And that is what it costs our God to love. Because he is to be both just and merciful. In Jesus Christ, we have all of our longings satisfied. And so I appeal to you to hear Jesus when he says, repent, turn from your sin, and believe in this gospel. This is the risen king. And he calls us to repent and to believe in him. But he also says that he will come to judge the living and the dead. 
There will come a day when Jesus returns. And this call to repentance and to belief in the gospel will be no more. So friends, I urge you to strongly consider the words of Jesus. When he says, repent and believe in the gospel, will you? Will you not turn to this great God of love and mercy, this great God of truth and justice? See what he has done for you. In Matthew 28, five through seven, it says this. This is after the crucifixion, the death, and the burial of Jesus. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. But he is not here, for he has risen, just as he had said. Come and see the place where he lay, then quickly go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, where there you will see him, just as I have told you. Friends, have you given this the attention that it deserves? Have those words, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified, but he is not here, for he has risen. Has that penetrated not only your mind, but also your heart? Here's a great barometer. When we sing together, for those of us that are Christians, when we sing together, is that meaningful to you? Or is it just tradition? When we say the words, all hail the power of Jesus' name, is there any weight in it to you? Or is this simply just cognitive reasoning deployed into a theological realm? Has the gospel penetrated your heart? Friends, there's freedom there. Philippians 2, 9 through 7 says this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, namely Jesus. For God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, I put this to you as plainly as I can. There will come a day when you will kneel to King Jesus, and it will be either done with reluctance or faithful obedience and longing. But either way, you're kneeling to the king. Do you see how much this king loves you? Do you see what this king has paid for you? What does it cost your God to love you? The creed reminds us of these truths that he is the Lord of all. I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna stand, and we're gonna recite the Apostles' Creed together, and then we're gonna sing. And we're gonna sing an oldie but a goodie as a reminder to ourselves. Would you join me as I pray, and then we'll recite the Creed together. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the many ways that you provide for us. We are so thankful for your word and for the truths found within. We pray, Lord Jesus, that as we think more deeply about your death, your burial, your resurrection. That it would penetrate not only our minds, but our hearts. Lord, for those of us that are still trying to figure the whole Jesus thing out, Lord, we pray that you would focus our minds and our hearts, that we might engage with this truth, that we might be a people who have intellectual and spiritual honesty, that we would give this the hearing that it deserves, that you would draw us close to you, Lord Jesus. We pray also, Lord, in this moment, for those of us that follow after you, that you would draw us in, that as we recite the creed, that it would serve as a reminder to the depth and the profoundness of your love, of your grace, of your justice, of what it costs for you to love us. As we continue in worship, Lord, we ask that you would be glorified, 
And as that happens, that we would receive great joy reflecting on how it is that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, for hundreds of years, the church has gathered together and recited the Apostles' Creed as an act of worship and as a reminder. I would ask that you would stand with me, please, now as we participate in this act that has transcended time and culture, the reading of the Apostles' Creed. I will read it, and I want you to read it with me. Uh, There's cards in the back of the seat in front of you. Those are for you to take and also uh, up on the screen. So follow me, if you would, please, as we read. If you don't believe in this, if you're still trying to figure it all out, please just remain standing in silence as you reflect on these words. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.